0: There's so much more I want to say about this, but maybe we'll, maybe I'll make that another sermon for another time. If you've got your Bible, um, turn over to the book of Amos. And again, if you don't have your Bible with you, there are some right in front of you in the pews. Um, I'd like for, for everybody to kind of follow along as, as, we, as we go through these scriptures. Because um, actually reading that scripture is, is, is a benefit to you, I believe. Um, but anyway, we're going to look at Amos chapter 5. Uh, verses 18 through 24. Everybody got it? Everybody who wants to be there? 5, Amos 5, 18 through 24. Mm -hmm. I'm getting old, folks. I've finally reached the point where I have to take my glasses off to to read up close. The day day has come. So starting in 18, Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. And even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. It's the word of God for the people of God. I'm going to read another translation of that scripture just so we get a nice, firm idea of uh, maybe a more modern idea of an application for this. Every now and then I'll break out the message translation, which is, I don't know, 20, 25 years old right now. And it's just an an updated translation with some pretty modern language. And uh, this one really, really, really stood out to me. And I think it'll help us to get a better understanding of uh, how this applies to us today. Woe to you, all of you who want God's judgment day. Why would you want to see God? Why would you want Him to come? When God comes, it will be bad news before it's good news. The worst of times, not the best of times. Here's what it's like. A man runs from a lion right into the jaws of a bear. A woman goes home after a hard day's work and is raped by a neighbor. At God's coming, we face hard reality, not fantasy. A black cloud with no silver lining. And here's the verses we're really going to emphasize today. I cannot stand your religious meetings. I am fed up with your conferences and your conventions. I want nothing to do with your religious projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I am sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations, and your image making. I have had all that I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. So last uh, last time we were together, we uh, we talked about Exodus and uh, we 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 went through a few verses. But I can't, remember, I can't even remember off the top of my head. It was Exodus twenty, Exodus twenty-two, um, and they and and was, the verses focused on some very specific groups of people. They focused on foreigners, they focused on orphans, they focused on widows, and they focused on the poor. And as we went through scripture, we found multiple, multiple places throughout the entirety of the Bible that these four groups are, are mentioned. Clearly, God has a special place in his heart for how we treat these particular four groups. We're going to get a similar message here in the book of Amos. Um, let me ask you guys this Are these, are these, are these words hard for you? You've got to answer me necessarily, but just think about that for a second. Are they hard? Are they difficult? Free to hear? Did they make you a little bit uncomfortable? They make me uncomfortable. When we were uh, last week of Oak Grove, we uh, we did, we we did we went through some similarly uncomfortable scriptures that were from uh, from the words of Jesus and from the book of Luke regarding loving our loving our enemies. And we all agreed that those words and that scripture made us very uncomfortable, and they were hard for us to swallow. And they, uh, they really forced us to come face-to-face with ourselves, to come face-to-face to face and have some brutal honesty about our sinful nature and how we woefully fall short in so many ways. Well, folks, that's what we call conviction in the church. That's what we call conviction. That's a big part of what Scripture does for us. That's, that's why I encourage all of us to, to really dive into Scripture a lot, to spend some time... Whether it's in church, whether it's with a group of people, whether it's in our personal time, to spend some time really getting into, into Scripture so that we learn the will of God, we learn who God is, we learn what His nature is and how, what His kingdom looks like and how we are called to embrace that kingdom and God's will. So when we see Scripture like this and it makes us, ugh, makes us cringe, makes us feel a little guilty, maybe, that's called conviction and that's okay. Because that's what Scripture, again, does for us. It convicts. And hopefully, hopefully, a lot of times it leads us to, the, to repentance. It leads us to those moments where we say, Aha! I'm not thinking the way God would have me to think. I'm not speaking. I'm not behaving the way God would have me to behave. And we get to that point of admission. And that's what repentance is. I think, I ta- I think we talked a little bit about repentance two weeks ago. It's not a nasty word. It's not a bad word. It's just coming to the realization that, hey, I'm, I'm living or I'm thinking or I'm, I am outside the will of God in some way. I want to change. And when we make that 180, we make that turn, we turn away. It's literally what, what repentance is, uh, is to change our minds, to change our hearts. We change our mind and we turn in the direction of God. I'm going to guess the majority of you were, were convicted a little bit by that scripture this morning. So hopefully that brings us all... To a place where we, we realize we're our shortcomings and that we are willing, become willing, uh, to take a deeper look at ourselves. On the other hand, maybe you're not convicted at all. Maybe the scripture just kind of makes you mad. Maybe you're, maybe you're not being pushed in that direction. Maybe the scripture makes you angry. And that's a pretty common response too. Because uh, we don't like to take a look at ourselves. <laughs> we don't like to admit our faults. We don't like to admit that we fall short. So a lot of times we read stuff like this and we're not brought to that point of conviction. We get re- mad and we get uh, rebellious. And that's very common as well. But let me point out to you, church, that just as Amos' prophetic words were not popular back then, they aroused anger back then when he proclaimed them. They have the same tendency to do, to do the same thing to us today. People don't like prophets. Okay? Okay? People didn't like prophets in the Old Testament. Religious people didn't like prophets in the Old Testament. A lot of times religious people don't like prophets today because prophets do too. <laughs> Prophets point out our shortcomings and they point out where we're, where we're failing. And yeah, there's prophets today. I, I think all preachers are called to speak prophetically to some degree or another, whether it's calling out personal sins, whether it's, whether it's addressing social sins, whatever. Of course there's modern prophets today. I'm not talking about future telling or, or crystal ball gazing. I'm talking about speaking prophetic words. Words that speak the truth of God. And that's what Amos' words are. And they are just as applicable today as they were when he officially proclaimed them. Jesus even talked about this. Um, in the scripture that we did in, at Oak Grove last week, there was, a, there was a point in that scripture where Jesus even talked about how prophets like Amos were rejected. I'm going to read it to you real quick. You don't have to look it up, but it's Luke 6. 22 and 23. Luke 6, 22 and 23. And incidentally, in these, uh, in these scriptures, Jesus is, is preaching a sermon that's very, very kind of... It's similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the humble, those types of things. He's given a lot of blessed statements in this particular passage. But here's one I want to point out to you because he says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and when they insult you, and when they reject your name as evil because of me or because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. Prophets were not treated well by the religious folks even. Here's the, here's the message translation. Count yourself blessed every time somebody cuts you down or throws you out every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and that person is uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. For even though they don't like it, I do, and all heaven applauds, and know that you are in good company. My preachers and my witnesses have always been treated like this. We may not like prophetic words that call us to repentance and and, and our shortcomings. doesn't change the fact that they're prophetic words and that they're true. It's painful. It's painful to take hard looks at ourselves and where we fall short. Even as Christians, a lot of times we just don't like the truth, but the truth of God... Doesn't change, whether it's five thousand years ago or whether it's today, November the eighth, two thousand twenty. The words of Amos are just as applicable today as they are as they were back then, and we would do well to heed them, honoring the God who has graciously redeemed us through Jesus Christ. Amos is uh, Amos is sometimes referred to as the social justice prophet because the most of his prophecies in his book concentrate on the mistreatment and the oppression of, uh, of one section of society by another. Now, I hesitate to use the term social justice, especially this morning. Because for some reason, somehow or another, this has become a, a, a secular political term, and it turns a lot of people off. I don't know how that happened. But it did. So a lot of folks are turned off by the word, by the, by the terminology social justice, because it carries that political baggage with it. But the church has used that term for decades. So if you don't want to call it social justice, that's fine. I call it biblical justice, I call it God's justice. It's all, it's all one and the same. But for the sake of argument, um, to make sure that we have a good foundation of what this idea of Christian, not secular, of Christian social justice is. Let's define it. Let's define it, and let's get it from a, from a good biblical perspective. I've been reading a book. Y'all know I'm always reading. I've been reading a book by a, by a, a professor at Asbury Seminary. His name is Winfield Bevins, and he talks a little bit about this, and he, he gives a pretty concise definition of, of, uh, of the idea, the theme of what social justice is. And he just puts it this way. He says, Social justice is actions that are taken on behalf of those who are oppressed or marginalized by society. What a succinct, easy-to-understand definition. Actions that are taken on behalf of those who are oppressed or marginalized by society. So again, you know, if you take issue with this term because, because of the political baggage, just, just call it God's justice. Just call it biblical justice. It's basically this. It's, 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 it's fairness. It's applying fairness to all. It's the idea of equality. At the end of the day, that's what it is. It's treating people like we want to be treated. It's it's fixing things that are wrong. Things that are out in society, in our communities, that are outside, clearly outside of God's will. Like all those people from the Exodus scriptures that we talked about last time. Like the people that we see here in, uh, in our scriptures from Amos today. Fixing things, making things right that are wrong. Today we might call it social justice. But it's really just an extension of God's mission to reclaim everything in his kingdom. What does God's kingdom look like? It's a just society. It's a fair society. So, in our passage today, and throughout Amos, by the way, Amos throughout the entire book of Amos, um, you find the prophet speaking primarily to the oppression and the mistreatment of the poor, the needy, and those who are marginalized. He condemns the ruling class of the day, the ruling class of Israel, for their participation in that oppression, and check this out. He threatens that they would be punished by God, most likely by military action. This, this was not in our scriptures. I'm just giving you a little, a little um, background here of what actually, what's going on in Amos and what does happen. So he's condemning the ruling classes of Israel for their participation of the marginalized. And along the way, he threatens that they're going to be punished by God, most likely by military invasion and subsequent defeat. Guess what happened? A few decades later, (laughs) they were conquered. They were defeated by a military force is what happened to them. Clearly, 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 these are matters that are vitally important to God. And this is what I was talking about a little bit in the beginning. We tend so much to think of Christianity and to think of the way that we live out our Christianity, focusing solely on our own personal sins our own personal holiness, as we call it, particularly in the Wesleyan tradition. And we we concentrate so much that Christianity is basically personal sin management. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. What about our role or our complacency in our role in society? You can't read these words... You can't read any of the book of Amos. You can't read any of the Old Testament prophets and not see this. That we have a role in society. That we have a role in Broxton. We have a role in Coffee County, Georgia, United States, worldwide. We have a role to play in the oppression of the marginalized. And God looks lowly on us. My God, if we are the actual oppressors. But to ignore it, by the way, is also sin. That's a lot of what was going on in Israel. They were just ignoring it. If they weren't directly oppressed, if they weren't directly oppressed, they were just flat out ignoring it. How do we treat the poor? Here we go again. Back to what we talked about two weeks ago. The needy, those on the margins, is this. Here we go. Is this just as important to us as Christians as our own personal piety? That's the question I'm getting at because to God it is. It's not one over the other, it's both. Okay? And that's what I was telling you about the, the different theologies. One, they, Everybody wants to stress one over the other. Personal piety or social responsibility. It's both. It's both. And we do have social responsibility. God cannot make that any more clear. How does the idea of social or what I call biblical justice play into what we've already identified that Jesus said were the greatest commandments? Love God and love neighbor. How does that play out in 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 our, call it what it is, in our political views, in our social views, in those things that we support, those things that we don't support? How does loving God and loving neighbor? How do we live that out in those in those things? Certainly, we have a call towards justice. Most of us, most of us, were not here around uh, the civil rights movement. If you were, I'm not going to call you out. Um, but if you were, or if you're even somewhat familiar with the civil rights movement, you might recognize this particular piece of scripture because it was one that. Uh, is often associated with Martin Luther King Jr. Because he used it a lot. As a matter of fact, it was a major part. It was a, the driving home part, actually, of his I Have a Dream speech. If you were to go to the Civil Rights Museum in Montgomery, Alabama today, you would find a monument there with this scripture engraved into it. John Wesley also thought it was also a social theologian. Um, I have a Bible, I have a, have a study Bible that uh, is specifically focused on, on, on Wesleyan theology and John Wesley and, and a lot of his ideas. And as I was going through this scripture, I, noted, I, I saw that my study Bible noted, that, noted this. It said that um, just like Amos before him, Dr. King reminded believers that faithfulness requires more than just worship and prayer. A faithful life is a just... And a righteous life. It also noted that even though Wesley was known for his rigorous schedule of scripture study, worship, and prayer, when somebody was in need, helping that person always took priority over prayer and works of piety. Did y'all catch that? And he was, brother. <laughs> he believed in fervent prayer, hardcore scripture study, hours and hours in prayer, But when somebody was in need, he always said that that stuff takes second priority. In one of his sermons, Wesley stated this. He said, whenever, therefore, one interferes with the other, one being personal piety over service to others, works of mercy are to be preferred over works of piety. Even reading and hearing scripture and prayer are to be admitted or at least postponed at charity's almighty call when we are called to relieve the distress of our neighbor. If you want to go back up to the beginning of our scripture in 18, if you happen to be wondering what that phrase, the day of the Lord, means, when that scripture says something to the effect of why do you, why do you look forward to the day of the Lord? It's not, it's not going to be good for you. That's not talking about the second coming of Christ. That's not talking about judgment day and, and all that stuff. This is, uh, this, is, this is something that, that, uh, that Israel at the time anticipated. They thought that it was going to be a time where, uh, where the Lord would help them to defeat their enemy. Uh, and then they looked forward to it. They looked forward to, the, to that day that, 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 uh, that Israel uh, would defeat their enemies. According to Amos, however, they should fear this day because it was going to be a day of inescapable doom because they had become God's enemy. Israel, God's chosen people, by the way, had become God's enemy because of their oppression of the neediest among them, the poorest among them, those without a voice. What should really, and I'll remind you that they were ultimately taken over by military force, what should strike us to the very core today are verses 21 through 24. Worship without justice is unacceptable to God. Worship without the practice of justice is unacceptable to God. We are called to imitate God's justice and God's righteousness in our communities. The ruling elite of Israel once again had become arrogant and they had become confident in their military strength and they had become confident in their wealth. They were blind to the suffering of their fellow Israelites and they forgot God's commandments. They forgot his commandments to exist as a community of mutual care. Where dignity was protected and where nobody was abused. So they just go on worshiping. They go on worshiping and they go on celebrating their religious festivals as if nothing's going on behind the scenes, as if nothing is wrong. And we are told that God hates it. I don't want your pretentious worship. I don't want your self centered singing. I don't want your self righteous prayer. But let justice roll like a river. Matter of fact, I hate it. I hate your worship. I hate your superficiality. I hate your pretentiousness. But let justice roll like a river. Despite all that, despite all that, in the book of Amos, Amos even tells them, he says, you know what? Y'all can avoid punishment. Y'all can avoid punishment if you'll just repent. If you'll just repent and change, you can avoid all that. God was patient with them. He was patient with Israel. He was slow to anger, but they did not heed the prophet's warnings. So, just as he said, several decades later, they were were destroyed. They were taken over. Y'all, this is a harsh rebuke. This is a harsh rebuke. And it's a harsh rebuke for us today. You don't think this applies today? It does. God's views don't change. God's will doesn't change. It applies to our church. advice to Brock's United Methodist. It applies to the church global, the church Catholic, as we call it in our Apostles' Creed. It is a harsh rebuke for us this morning. Are we living it out? Are we embracing that justice that God calls for? Or are we gathering for worship? ignoring, possibly even oppressing the most vulnerable among us. God, I hope not. I hope we're not personally involved in it. But are we ignoring it? To do nothing is sin, folks. To do nothing is sin. We all know that. Pretty much everybody here has been raised in the church. We've heard the phrases sin of commission and sin of omission. Certainly to do something you shouldn't do is sin, but also to not do something you know you should. Is sin. We know what to do. We know what God's call is, and it goes again beyond personal piety. We have a community and a social obligation to do nothing is sin. If we every time, every time we go through our communion liturgy, we say a corporate prayer together, and I love that prayer. By the way, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons I love our liturgy so much. But we say a corporate prayer of repentance together. Part of that prayer says we have not loved our neighbors. And we have not, somebody tell me. Heard the cry of the needy. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. I'm just as guilty as anybody, folks. I ain't trying to beat nobody up. But we're called, we are being called in this moment, I believe, to be awakened in so many ways. So many ways. And I think this is one of them. Certainly, we don't have to think very hard to be able to see the implications and the applications of Amos' words for today. It's not easy, folks. You know, you, could, you can exercise your beliefs in the voting booth, that's one way to do it, but that's, that's really pretty... Uh, um, that doesn't take a whole lot of effort, to be honest with you. And I think that, that, that should play into your political views, but that's one way. The other way is to get dirty. And we don't like getting dirty, really. We don't, we, don't, we don't like getting messy, but that's what we're called to be. It extends beyond the voting booth and it starts in Broxton, Georgia. If you live in Douglas, maybe it starts in Douglas, Georgia. Start right here in our communities. Look around. Identify the marginalized. Identify possible oppression. Look for it because it's here. We see it. It's just easier to turn a blind eye, like Israel. And get in with them, get involved. Get involved with these people, these folks on the margins who do suffer, who do suffer for whatever reason. It's our calling. It's not easy. It's messy. It's messy and it's, and it's, and it's inconvenient to us. But our worship is useless without it. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for this morning. We thank you for your church. God, we thank you for your salvation, for our salvation. We thank you for your word this morning, Lord, even though it's difficult. It's difficult to accept. It forces us to take a look at ourselves, and it forces us to take a look at our responsibilities. And not just our personal sin, not just our personal piety, that you do expect us to live out our responsibilities as christians as followers as imitators of jesus christ heavenly father give us the strength give us the knowledge lord give us the opportunity and the sight to be able to recognize speak into and live into these ideas help us god to identify those who are suffering in our communities give us the fortitude give us the strength and the desire to do whatever we can do to glorify your kingdom. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.